and doing a deeper dive. All right, y'all ready? A couple of you are. I'll take that. Uh, listen, there, there was this uh, children's church teacher. Children's church teacher. I about did a Casey and children's church teacher. Uh, there was this children's church teacher, and uh, she was teaching about the cross, about the resurrection of Jesus, and all that. And she said, "Hey, kids, said, what do you think was the first thing Jesus said when he rose from the dead and came out of that tomb?" Well, little Johnny's over there, me, 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 teacher. And she's like, okay, Johnny, what do you think was the first thing that Jesus said when he rose from the dead and came out of that tomb? Little Johnny goes, (laughs) ta-da! And here's the thing, while, while that's funny, what is happening more and more not just in the outside world, but in the church world, is that the Easter story is just being boiled down to another ta-da moment in the life of Jesus. Nothing more. And, and as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I've got to continually be aware and keep at the forefront that the crucifixion, the resurrection, isn't just part of the story. It is the hope that I put my faith in. If there wasn't a crucifixion, if there wasn't a resurrection, why am I here? Come on, it's 11 a.m. Why am I here? And so today we're kicking off this series, Cause and Effect. Because I believe the cause, Christ, what he did for us on the cross, should have an effect on our lives. Are you with me? Uh, Let me give you a definition to this. Cause and effect, the relation between a cause and its effect. Noting a relationship between the actions or events such that one or more are the result of the other. Let me simplify that for those that are like me. A cause is an action that brings about a reaction. It's a, a cause is an action that brings about a reaction. Let me, let me give you some examples. Eating unhealthy. If you continually eat unhealthy, what is the action going to be? Unhealthy. You're going to be unhealthy. It's going to lead to health issues, right? A lack of communication is going to lead to a lot of misunderstandings. Are you hearing me? Do you know what the biggest issue I deal with in marital counseling? Communication. People don't know. They're talking to each other, but they're not talking to each other. Let's move on because I can tell that went over real well. Uh, If you are mean or constantly insult your wife, that's probably going to lead to you sleeping on the couch. Amen. I like that. Amen. But on the other hand, if you begin to eat healthy, if you begin to exercise, the effect of that is going to benefit your health, right? If you learn to communicate, that's going to bring about less misunderstanding, right? And if you treat your wife nice, If you remember anniversaries, birthdays, if you bring her flowers, that's going to lead to... Let's move on. (laughs) Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Here's the question that we must answer. Um, Was the crucifixion, was the resurrection just a ta-da moment in the life of Jesus? Or is it the very foundation of we build and base our faith upon. And here's why that's an important question. Because if we truly believe 
that it is, it happened, it is what we built our faith on, then that should have an effect on how we live our lives. There should be something that shifts inside of us, that makes us different. Now, look at me. I am, I am not religious at all. I, I, am very, I am not But with that being said, there should be something that shifts inside me. There should be something internal that is happening. Uh, a guy I, I follow on Twitter named Shane Pruitt said this. A Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want to here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. The real gospel changes who we are. It changes what you do. It changes your identity, and it changes your activities. The cause, Jesus' death and resurrection, should have more of an effect on a follower of Jesus than praying a simple prayer and showing up at church once a week. Now, I'm grateful you show up at church. I am. I, but, but there should be something happened more than that. The, um, the effect of what Christ did for us should have more of an effect on us than us just posing, posting an occasional scripture on Facebook. Come on. There should be something happen, and it should affect our personal lives. It should affect how we talk to people. How we see people, how we see ourselves, how we live our lives. It should affect where we go and what we do. Come on. I know it's not popular, but I'm going to preach it. There should be something that shifts inside of us that separates us from the world. That's why we're doing this series. What, What should the effect of the cross and resurrection be on our families, our communities? This church. What, what should the effect be? Because I said this a couple of moments, uh, months ago, and I stand by this. The time of casual and, and, and uh, social Christianity is over. It's over. Because you're going to be forced to take a side on some issues. And we're going to find out who is really a follower of Jesus and who is just that by name. Well, Kelly, that's not... No, I don't want to get into that. I about, I about got into something. I'll, I'll get into that later. Because their, their biggest, maybe I will get into it. Because the biggest thing is they say, well, don't judge, don't judge. Well, you need to understand what was, what was meant when that was said and the story behind it. The Bible says, I don't have, listen, I don't have any, any, any right, somebody outside the body of Christ, but those inside that call themselves that are in fellowship with Jesus, we should be judging each other's fruit. We should be calling each other on our stuff. I'm sorry, man, y'all going to be a tough crowd. And I want a nap. I don't believe salvation is something you earn or work for. Let me get straight, that straight. You can't do enough to earn the love of God or the salvation. He loves you regardless. Are you, are you following me? But with that being said, but, or what's it? But... You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, I believe James, a half-brother of Jesus, has something to say on this. Look, look what he says in, in James 2.14. My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it 
If someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it, how could this kind of faith save anybody? My translation, what good is it for you to just call yourself a Christian but nothing in your life shows it? He, what? How can that kind of faith save anyone? He goes on, verse 17. So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. Dang, James. Then he clarifies. He doubles down. But someone might object and say, hey, one person has faith and another person has works. James is like, okay, go ahead. Show, show me, prove to me that you have faith without your works. But I'm going to show you faith by what I do, how I live my life, where I go. I'm going to prove to you what my faith really is. I'm telling you, James is saying there, are, there aren't different versions of Christianity. Come on. In spite of what culture says... In spite uh, of what's deemed popular and, uh, or unpopular, in spite of what is, is, is called phobic, there is only one true version of Christianity. It's like Jesus didn't show up in 2010, 2015, 20, and be like, oh, you know what? Culture is changing. Maybe we should loosen up on some of the things we talked about. Go ahead, do whatever you want to do. No, what he said then, he means now. There is no other version of Christianity, what he said. And, and so he, he still means it today. And listen, while I'm not out to offend anybody, I do know that in this climate, it is nearly impossible to not offend somebody. In fact, I want to deem this generation the snowflake generation. See, I just offended somebody right then. But let me say this. Well, I'm not out to offend anyone. My job, my calling as the pastor of Watts Bar Community Church is to say and to preach what God's Word said regardless of pushback or any negative feedback I may get or this church may get. That's my job. So, but as a, there should be an inward change. Uh, and I'm not saying it happens overnight. I wish it happened overnight. I wish when I prayed a prayer years ago, I quit wanting to sin, quit wanting to cuss people out, quit wanting to get mad, lose my cool. Quit. I wish. Come on. But I'm 30 years into this, and there's still days I want to cuss, cuss people out. Some. There's still days I don't want to do right. But what it is, there should be a progression in our walk that becomes evident by people. Anybody that knew me, listen, I met a guy at the 9 a.m. that, that uh, knew me from my days at Harvest. And I said, I'm so sorry for that. Because I was not the same person today that I was then. I'm not the same person a year ago that I am today. And I hope to God I'm not the same person a year from now that I am today. Because there should be something inside of me that is wanting to change, wanting to grow, wanting to increase that. I ain't even got into my message. There should be something that's evident. I got a text this morning. This wasn't, and I thought, man, I've got to add this. Uh, 
Big shout out to the guy that sent me this text. I'm not going to call you out, even though I know I could never embarrass you. But he's, he's watching online. But I loved this text. Morning, pal. You know I have always, and then the caps, always hated the beach. I whined about the sand, the heat, how much it costs, etc., etc., etc. And when I did come, I would ruin my wife and kids' trip by griping and getting drunk. God has a pretty good sense of humor because this past week, I couldn't wait to get down here. And my wife and kids couldn't believe how excited I was about our trip. As I'm, as I'm out here doing my morning Bible study, I can't help but to think of just how awesome God is. This very same time last year, my wife and my kids wouldn't have one thing to do with me. And now they actually depend on me. By, and by depend, I don't mean financially or physically. They depend on me as the spiritual leader of our house, PK. Isn't God freaking awesome? It's, he continues. June of last year, I was sticking needles in my arm. June of this year, I'm going to men's breakfast and sharing the gospel. I'll be watching online this morning. I love you, PK. That, listen, that is an effect that is noticeable, not just to him, but to the people in his life, that something has shifted in his life. Something has changed in his life. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Um, give me a little context before we dive in today. Um, in the New Testament, the Greek and Roman Empire were the main influences in that culture. They were, they were the main. And, and in that culture, drama, arts, theater, it was huge. They would build these amphitheaters just so they could put on the performing arts and so they could do these. And actors were known, the Greek word for what they were known as, hypocrites. Anybody know what English word we get from that? Hypocrite. Hippocrates. And in this culture, the Hippocrates or hypocrite simply meant to be an actor. It was an actor. And what that Hippocrates would do, they would carry around with them a bag of masks. And depending on the part they were going to play, they would pull out different masks for those parts. And those masks would then tell them who they are. It would tell them uh, what accent they're supposed to use. It would tell them what kind of uh, attitude they were going to have. That mask would tell them, this is who you are for this period of time. It told them. And Jesus began seeing this played out, not in the theater, but with a lot of religious leaders and followers of God. Because he saw that a lot of religious leaders weren't pointing people to God. They were pointing the people to themselves. Look at me. We're the ones that make the rules. We're the ones that decide what sin is and what sin isn't. We're the ones. Look at us. And all it was pointing toward them. And Jesus has some very strong words about these people. And in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, and I want you to keep in mind before we dive in, Jesus knows full and well, full, full well, Full and well, full and well. Anyway, he really knows <laughs> that the religious leaders are there listening because they were always there trying to catch Jesus. And look what he says, Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, do not be like the Hippocrates. 
the hypocrites, the actors. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jump down to verse 16, same chapter. When you fast, don't look somber like the Hippocrates or the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces. They put on a mask to show others, hey, this is who I am. I'm holy today. I'm fasting. He says, truly, I tell you, they receive their full reward. Get this, in the Gospels, Jesus, a minimum of 17 times, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. 17 times, Jesus says, don't be the person that carries a bag of masks around you and that has mastered the art of changing who you are, changing your persona, changing your character, and being someone different than you really are. Something else to know, the Romans and the Greek, they were very um, superstitious. And that what they believed, they believed that if the person played the same part for a period of time, they wore the same mask for a long period of time, they would become that person. It would change who they are. Today we hear it called method acting. Anybody heard of that? Uh, the, the, there are those that consider to be real hardcore method actors where they try to identify with the person they're playing. Dustin Hoffman was one for my generation, this younger generation, like Dustin who? Um, but Dustin Hoffman, in his role, the marathon man, he starved himself and put himself through sleep deprivation to portray a character who is going through physical and psychological deterioration. Daniel Day-Lewis. He is one that is known for really going off the edge when it comes to method acting. Uh, in The Last of Mohicans, he taught himself to build a canoe, shoot a flintlock, and trap and skin animals. Can you imagine today's actor training for a role and going out and, and uh, hunting down and skinning some animals? That would go over really well. People, PETA would... Uh, People that eat tasty animals. Anyway, let's move on. Um, in his movie, My Left Foot, Daniel Day-Lewis, it was about an artist with a cerebral palsy. He taught himself to put a record on a turntable with his toes. And he also insisted on remaining in the wheelchair during the taping and being fed by the crew. In Abraham Lincoln... Daniel never broke character throughout the taping. In fact, whether he was there or off, when he would send someone a text, he would sign off with A for Abraham. More notable, Heath Ledger. Anybody saw the dark, see the dark night? If you saw the movie, he became the Joker. And it said he, that he fully immersed himself into this role, even locking himself up in a hotel room for over a month to try to understand the mindset of a madman. Those that knew him best say that him taking on this role and this character, it took a toll on him emotionally and mentally, and that he was never, ever the same again, leading up to his accidental overdose in 2008. See, here's the truth. There is something that happens inside of us. 
When we wear a mask over and over and over, when we pretend to be something we're not over and over again, and Jesus says some 17 times, don't do that. Don't pretend to be something or someone you're not. How many know this right now? There's a lot of people carrying bags of masks around right now. There's a lot of sifting uh, under, under the mask right now. People pretending to be something they're not because it's cool to be that. Well, you'd act like you don't know what I'm talking about, so let's dive in deeper. Absolutely. I'm already offended half of you, so let's go deeper. You got people one week they're gay, one week they're bi, one week they're lesbian, one week they're trans, one week they can't make up. Here's the thing. They keep wearing and switching those masks. Pretty soon they become what they've been pretending to be because they've allowed the world and they've convinced themselves this is who you are. And because of that, we've got an identity crisis in our world. Nobody knows who they are. Oh, Kelly, don't get off on that, man. We'll do that later. If you pretend to be, if you wear that mask too long, you'll allow the world to convince you, and then you'll convince yourself that that is who you are. And Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Let's go to Tim, 2 Timothy 1. Uh, Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And when he writes this letter, he is some 800 miles away from Timothy. And, and Paul begins to sense, man, my end is near. I, I've got to give some words to my spiritual son. I've got to encourage him. And I love the way that Paul opens up his le this letter to Timothy. Because we know very little about Timothy's father uh, other than Timothy's father was Greek. And a lot of scholars believe that Timothy's father left him and his mother at a very early age. So we don't know a lot other than his father was Greek and his mom was Jewish. And here's why that matters. Timothy being Greek means he was not circumcised, and that meant he was not able to enter the synagogue. So here's where Timothy is at on the social scale. The Jews, they saw him as Greek, so they wouldn't receive him. The Greek saw him as a Jew, so they wouldn't receive him. So now, not only is Timothy feeling I wasn't wanted by my dad, but now he's feeling unwanted by two different people groups, the Jews and the Greeks. And Paul knows, man, that Timothy has wrestled with his identity. And so he opens up his letter with this. Look at this, 2 Timothy 1, 2. To Timothy, my dear son. Paul is like, you may not have grown up with a father. You may not feel like you fit in anywhere, but I want you to know you're not an outcast. You're not unwanted. You are my son. And I'm telling you, for someone that feels unwanted, those, those words are life-saving. He goes on, my dear son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, here we go. I'm reminded of your, say those two words. We're going to try that again because I know you can do better. I'm reminded of your which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy apparently was from the south. 
He had a grandmother, Lois, and a mom named Eunice. Um, anyway, Paul tells Timothy, hey, I saw sincere faith in your grandmother. I saw sincere faith in your mom. And now, Timothy, I see that same thing in you. I see that in you. Now, now let me ask you real quick before we move on. How would someone describe your faith? Well, they say, man, they, they've got sincere faith. They're sincere. Well, let, let's look at what the word here, sincere, means. The Greek word used here is anukoprate, or anu, anupakrat. I said it right the first service. And, what is it? Oh, thank you. My, I was looking at my, my cousin back there. He knows how to say this word. Uh, here's what it means. Undisguised without hypocrisy. Undisguised, not a hypocrite. Paul says, listen, I saw your grandmother and mom. They never felt the need to wear a mask. They never felt the need to pretend to be something other than they're not. And I see that in you. You have a sincere faith. Guys, that's what sincere faith looks like. You no longer feel the need to change masks depending on where you're at, the location, or who, you are, who you're around. And I believe there are four different masks we wear. There are probably more, but I believe these are the four that most of us, including myself, we carry around in a bag with us for just for different occasions. The first one I want to look at, and uh, Candace actually painted these masks for me, if you're wondering. The performer. The performer. Well, what is this person? These are those that they, they get their identity or who they are and what they do. Their achievements, their titles, their position. I, I'm only as good as my last accomplishment. I'm only as good as my last grade. I'm only as good as my last job, my relationship. That, and they, they get their being, their identity in what they do. And the thing is, if you wear this mask, so much of your identity gets wrapped up in how well you perform. Let me make a confession. I've worn this mask. I used to wear this mask a whole lot. When Denise and I were worship pastors for 20 plus years, I didn't identify as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I did, my identity was worship pastor worship leader and though I might not say it man I loved it when people would say Kelly you nailed it you killed it today what man that worship was amazing and I got my identity by how well I did how well I led people it was all about for performance and if I'm being honest as a pastor it's easy for me to pick this mask up still Come on. How did I do today? Nobody told me great message today. I must have sucked. Is attendance up? Is it down? Did I say something last week that offended everybody? I mean, uh, how's the giving? Are they giving? Are they, you know, what, what, the serving? Are people serving? If I was a better leader, if I was a better pastor, things would be going better. And it's be very easy. I know how prone I am to pick this mask up and, and let what I do, who I am, be identified by how well things are going at church. 
But here's what I've learned through the years, and I have to remind myself, it doesn't matter if we've got two people or a thousand people here. That does not change who I am in Christ. Now, I wish I felt that way every day. But there are days I'm like, I quit. I'm not good enough. Let's move on. Let's, let's, uh, let's retire on a beach. With Peter cut out. No, let's go. <laughs> so. But that's me, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. Because some of you are very familiar with that mask. It's one of them that you carry around because you identify or your identity or who you are, your value, comes from how well you do, where you succeeded at, grades. And, and I, Casey, tell me if I'm wrong. There are some addicts that now they don't identify as a follower of Jesus. Their identity is an ex-addict. And, and, and it depends on how well they did that week. Did I not want to do this? Did I not, want, did I not slip up? And it's based on that, other than who God says they are. Are you following me? But it, it goes, getting certain grades in school, getting that certain job and promotion. Well, look at the car I'm driving. Look at the house I'm living in. Look at the vacation I'm going on. How many likes did I get on my post? And it all becomes a matter of how well you did. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe you should do your best at whatever you do. I, I, I do. I think you should be proud of your accomplishments. But if that's where you get your identity, then what happens when you don't succeed? What happens when you get passed over for the promotion? What happens when you don't get the grade you were expecting or your friend has more followers than you? And while we may, as adults, we may say, oh, come on, Kelly, I'm telling you, there are a lot of teenagers and young adults that are ruled by how many followers and likes they get. Let's say your identity is all wrapped up in what you do as a mom. Look at my skills. Look at my bacon. I'm going to post my bacon. Not bacon, baking, baking, my baking. Baking, not bacon. But post your bacon. I love bacon. Anyway, <laughs> look at my children. Look at my garden. Here's the problem when you get your identity wrapped up in that. What happens when you look online and there's a mom doing it better than you? Man, I'm just not a good mom. I'm not good at this. Look, did you see there are cucumbers? Look, mine don't even look like a small pickle. <laughs> and we begin to get our value about what, out of what we do. Or maybe as a dad, you identify at work or coaching your kids or taking them to practice. What happens when someone comes along that coaches your kid better than you do? And I'm not saying that those things are, are wrong. In fact, I think, again, you should strive to be the best mom you can be, the best dad you can be, the best employee, the best at your hobby or sport. But if that's where you get your identity, there's going to be a time when you feel defeated because you didn't succeed. Because somebody came along and they started doing it better. They were a better mom. They were a better dad, a better preacher, a better teacher, a better coach. 
And when that happens, what happens? The broken parts of us, when we see someone doing it better than us, the broken parts of us, we feel threatened because that's my identity. How dare they do it better than me? And then we start with these condescending words, hateful words flow out of that because we got our identity in this. Here's an even bigger problem. And this is my longest point, by the way. So don't think every one of them is going to be this long. If you're wearing the, the mask of a performer, it usually carries over into how you see and approach God. Because the faith doesn't, it, it's suddenly about how well you did. Did I not mess up today? Did I not react wrongly? Did I do the right thing today? Did I not, did I not step up and use a cuss word? Did I not do this? Did I go here? And it become, and so your salvation, your faith becomes based on what you did instead of what he did. And that's a big problem wearing the performer mask. And Paul tells Timothy, have sincere faith. Don't wear a mask that is built around performance. Number two. Oh, this is, this is going to get some of you. You won't want to admit it. The pleaser. The people pleaser. And here's the thing. If you're a people pleaser, you are constantly trying to manage your image so that the people in your circle will like you more. You want to please them. You want to make them. I got to make this person happy. Got to make that person happy. I need them to be. I need them to like me even at the expense of me keeping quiet. I need them to like me even at the expense of me being run over because I'm a people pleaser. I, I've got to be the one that makes sure all the family gatherings are, are what they're supposed to be so people aren't miserable. There's only room for one miserable person in this family, and it's me. Can I tell you that is an exhausting way to live? Trying to please this person. Trying to please that one. Why is it exhausting? You know why? Because people's opinions change like that. People can like you one minute. You're pleasing this person over here. They like you. But then they say, oh, I can't believe they posted that on that page. I can't believe they're hanging out with them. I'm not having it. So now, now they're avoiding you because they did like you, but now there's opinions changed. But now you got this person. Well, they're all about you. But then, oh, I can't believe they did that or said that. And it's exhausting because it's a never-ending circle trying to please everybody. See, here's the thing. You cannot follow Jesus well. You cannot conform to the image of Jesus when you are constantly trying to conform yourself to the opinion and images of others. You can't. You, I can't please, I can't leave, live to please God if my, the driving force of my life is to pleasing everybody else. Look what Paul said, Galatians 1.10. Am I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Passion paraphrase it like this. If all I'm attempting is to please people, I failed at being a servant of Christ. The voice says it like this. If I'm still spinning my wheels trying to please men, then there is no way I can be a servant of the anointed one. Paul said trying to please people while trying to please God there's a conflict there. 
there's a kind, and you're going to find this out more and more, is when you're trying to please God and speak up for truth, speak up for what he says, there, you're going to find a lot of conflict and you will not be able to please a certain group of people. Are you following me? There's just no way. And Paul tells Timothy, don't let your faith come to a place where you spend all your time, all your energy trying to please everybody. And you're so fixated on pleasing them that you miss out on what I'm trying to say to you or what God's trying to say to you. The third mask. Now listen, if you know somebody, your husband or spouse is this, now's not the time to elbow them. Allow God to do his work in an altar. The perfectionist. Oh, you hear the groans? Here's the one. You know you're right. And you're the one that does it right every time, all the time. And you're very proud of that fact. In fact, you wear the name uh, perfectionist. I almost forgot what it's all about. You wear, I am not a perfectionist. You wear the name perfectionist like a badge of honor. In fact, when I said it, some of you, you that were pretty, yeah, it's me. I do it right. Here's why. I do it because nobody else can do it right, so I just do it. I, I'm going to do it. And that's the problem is that you, expect, you set your expectations so high of how things should be done that you drive people away because they're like, there's no way I can live up to that. I can't do it. Let's do an inventory to see if maybe you didn't. I had a guy tell me before, uh, after this first service, he said, PK, he said, I thought, I'm not a perfectionist. Then you start doing this inventory, and I thought, maybe I am. Ask, is it hard for you to allow people in? Is it hard to let others see that you don't have it all together? Or here's a good one. Is it hard for you to, to turn people loose with a project or idea without you looking over it? Yeah, now's not the time to answer. Uh, uh, so <laughs> is it hard to admit there are cracks? Is it tough to admit that you need help? Paul tells Timothy, be, be sincere. Have sincere faith. Don't be the person that puts up the front like you've got it all together. Have sincere faith. Because here's a reason, Timothy. People need to see that you don't have it all together. People need to see that there are days you struggle too. People need to say there are days that your faith, you, you question your faith just like they do. So don't wear this mask where you think, I've got it all together. I've got to show them that I do it right every time. I'm telling you, this is a fatal mask to wear. And finally, hmm. The pretender. The person that feels the need to pretend. Pretend to lie. They'll lie about things that really don't even matter. They just lie. They just want to have something to say in the story. Like you could go, hey, hey, man, if you saw, and you know that the new Indiana Jones hasn't come out yet. Hey, you saw the new Indiana Jones. I did, man. I, I got a free, I got a, invited to a special screening of it. What was your best part? Oh, the part where the good guys fought the bad guys. But they feel the need to pretend, thinking that's going to make you like them more. Bob's got a friend, and he'll tell you, man, and, well, anybody that knows him, this guy lies about everything. He has played with some of the biggest bands in history. 
Yeah. And he, he stinks at guitar. Uh, but, but he has done all these things. And you know he's lying. What it is, is it in us that feels this need to pretend? Reminds me of this story of this pastor. Uh, before he ended his, week, uh, his message this one Sunday, he said, Hey, guys, next Sunday, I, I, I want you to prepare, and I want you to come back and be familiar. I want you to read and be familiar with Mark chapter 17. The next week, the pastor comes back in, and he said, Okay, guys, hey, how many remember the assignment I gave you to read and, and be prepared with Mark 17? How many did that assignment? 90% raised their hand. He said, okay, today I'm going to preach online because there is no Mark 17. <laughs> Some of y'all say, there's not? What? What? Why do we feel the need to pretend? What is wrong? He said, you know what? I didn't do it. What is this in us that feels like I've got to pretend to be this, pretend to be that, pretend to like this, pretend like this? Because if I don't, I'm going to be rejected. They're not going to like me. Second Corinthians 3. Paul is going up against this group known as the super apostles. And no, this is not a DC or Marvel group. Uh, the super apostles were teachers of the law that claimed superiority over Paul and other apostles. And they wanted to let everybody know they were more superior than Paul and the other apostles. So they would put the other apostles down. They would critique everything they said. And, and so Paul begins to address them. He knows his audience. He knows the people that he's talking to. They know who Moses is. Moses is one of the heroes of their faith. They know the story about how Moses would go up on the mountain to hear from God. And then when he walked off the mountain, the, because he had been with God, the glory was on his face so much that the people couldn't look on him because it would blind him. So he began to wear a veil, a mask, to cover that up. Paul's like, you know that story? He said, yeah, there was a, there was a reason. That was the reason that Moses wore a mask. But there was another reason that he wore a mask. And Paul's about to address that. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Paul says there was another reason Moses wore the mask, the veil. He didn't want the people to know that the glory of God had faded from him. Because Moses felt like as long as they think the glory is still on me, they'll follow me wherever I go. They'll do whatever I want. So I cannot let them see that it's gone. And Moses and Paul says, we're not like that. We're going to let people see inside the places that nobody else wants to see. Let's close with this, guys. And I think Paul remembers them, and he's telling Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, be sincere, man. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't feel like you've got to put on a show. Don't feel like you've got to act like you're better or you're more knowledgeable. I, I'm going to tell you, when, when I first began pastoring here, because most of you that have been around a while, you know, I don't, I, I had someone ask me a couple of weeks ago, so what uh, theological school, seminary did you go? I, I didn't. I mean, I'm a GED graduate. That's my education. 
And so there's a lot of times I had a hard time admitting any of that. Uh, there's times I didn't want to go be around these other big pastors that went to seminary because I felt my, like I was less. Or I would pretend, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I know that. And I had no clue what they talking about. Paul said, Timothy, don't, don't do that. Have sincere faith. I'm going to close with this. Some of you my age might remember this guy. Bring this guy's picture up. Anybody remember who he is? Andre Agassi. He came on the scene in the late 80s and 90s like a whirlwind playing tennis. He made people like me want to watch tennis because he had this long flowing hair. It's like, I don't care what you think. He was a rebel. He wore, get this, he wore an earring that was a cross. And the church saw that and said, he's ours. We claimed him. We didn't know if he's a Christian or not. We just, he's wearing a cross earring. He's got to be a Christian. We claim him. He's ours. Andre Agassi won eight Grand Slam championships. He won a gold medal at the 96 Olympics. He was the first male player to win four Australian open titles he was a monster and he was a rebel so much so that Cannon approached him with this idea hey we want to we want to build a camera around your persona so they built a camera I might know what it's called the rebel the Cannon rebel anybody remember their slogan image is everything Andre seemed unstoppable until he wasn't. And you began to see Andre, uh, the man who was winning championships, titles, gold medals. Now he was losing to these no-name people. In his biography, because people were like, what, what happened to Andre actually? What happened? In his biography, he tells what happens. Remember, image is everything. And he said, that long flowing hair that had become known for, he said, every morning I would get up and find another piece of my identity on the pillow, in the wash basin, down the plug hole. And he, he said, I asked myself, you want to wear a toupee on the tennis court? He said, I answered myself, what else can I do? And Andre talks about when it really began to settle in that he was wearing this just to put up the, the image that people saw him. He says, the evening before the match, this match he was playing, I stood under the shower, and he said, I felt my wig suddenly fall apart. He said, of course, I could have played without my hairpiece, but what would all the journalists have written if they knew that all the time I was really just wearing a wig? He said, during the warm-up training before I play, I prayed not for victory, but I prayed that my hairpiece would not fall off. He said, I would rather lose and deal with the critics than to allow myself to be seen by others other than what they've come to know me as. Images, everything. And a lot of times, we would rather lose than allow ourselves to be seen as the image we put up for people. Why do we do that, guys? Why do we wear this mask? 
Because I think if, if we're honest with ourselves and God, we have to admit we all wear one of the, at least one of these masks. Every one of us. I mean, why did Moses wear the mask? The same way we do. A lot of times we wear masks to cover things up. To cover up hurts. To cover up disappointments. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what, if I'm wearing a mask, what am I trying to cover up? What is it I'm trying to hide? But guys, let's be honest. What is it that makes us feel like we've got to cover that part of us up? What is it in us that says, if they really knew this about me, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't want me around. So I've got to cover it up. Because I'm convinced there are people that come into this church every week that had abortions that feel the need to cover it up and not come out and say, this, this is what happened. Because they don't feel like they can be honest and say, this, this is where I was at in that time in my life. And I don't think you can handle that part of me, so I'm going to wear a mask. There are people, I believe, like Jonathan, who for years covered up his sexual struggle because he thought, I, I, I can't let people see this part of me. And he kept it covered up for years until it finally broke him. And I won't share all of his testimony. But y'all know those that know him, God has set him free from a lifestyle that was not in him. What is it? What is it that keeps the addict hiding pills under the bed or in a safe place to where they only know when they're at? And they don't feel like they can come out and say, man, I'm struggling. It's a battle for me. We should be able to come say, I'm done with this. I, I'm tired. It's been exhausting hiding these things. Exhausted hiding these secrets. Exhausted hiding these things. I, if you don't like what you see, that's your problem because God loves me right here as I am. Stand with me across this room.